Well, let's pray and jump into Ecclesiastes, the time remaining that we have uh, this morning as we look at these trivial pursuits. And as we look at what's trivial, may we gain what is foundational and beautiful and lasting and forever, and we can rejoice and share this timely message because this is for today, for Christmas. This is for right now for us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this scripture, and I I thank you that as we unpack it uh, verse by verse, as we take our time, may we become more understanding of your will, your desire. May it encourage us to show us the truth about all the schemes of the evil one Uh, that tries to trip us up, to get us distracted, to not find real joy, to know the hope, to enjoy the relationship that you have and want to have with us through Christ Jesus our Lord, through the power of your Spirit. We thank you for these words. May they be a blessing to us as we open them up and may we find joy as we hear about your word and help us to understand it not according to a pastor or leader at a church, but according to your spirit, to your will. May you give us light and direction this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is part two that started in, in chapter one, and, he, and so let's go back um, to verse 16 and gaining a little bit of context of chapter 1, and then we'll read through verse 11, this big chunk, as we look at the trivial pursuits of life and what Solomon found uh, by them. He said in verse 16, I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassed all those who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after the wind, for in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So his first pursuit was wisdom, that great philosophy of old to know, to knowledge, to know, to understand all things. And he says it just increased his anger, his vexation, his sorrow, his, all of the things, that was, his grief was multiplied in his heart, in his soul. But he didn't stop there. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1. He said in my heart, come now, I will test you, talking about wisdom, you with pleasure. Uh, enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under the sun during the few days of my life. I made great works. I built houses and I planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. 
I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house and I had also great possessions of herds and flocks and more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and treasures of kings and of providence. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines and, I de- and the delights of the Son of Man. So I became great, and I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had extended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So this morning we see this second pursuit, and the second pursuit is this wealth of pleasure. He pursued all the pleasure that he could find. In fact, it's amazing how, you know, as soon as, some of us, as soon as uh, Halloween, you know, Halloween's all about the pleasure of candy, and as soon as, uh, you know, that, and that's what my kids think anyway, but <laughs> there's other meanings for the rest of the world, but uh, all, you know, we turn our eyes and we start thinking of the wealth of food of Thanksgiving, and, and, and some people don't celebrate Thanksgiving, so they just immediately go to the wealth of Christmas, and they've tried to find pleasure in all sorts of things, the buying and giving of gifts, the receiving of gifts, and they spend more money like in one month than they do the rest of the year. That's what happens. It's amazing what people do and the extent they go to find pleasure. To most people in this world, they're thinking as if I had an unlimited supply of something I deemed important then I would find ultimate satisfaction and fulfillment in life. All would be, you know, all, I mean, all my dreams would come true. Most people are looking for answers and they just want to find this meaning. And they think that if I, if I just have the ultimate pleasure and ultimate happiness in life, and there, there's this philosophy of if only, Right? There's, if only I had more money, if only I had more things, if only I had more family, if only I had more animals, which I don't have that problem at my house. <laughs> if only I had this or that, you know, if, if only people liked me more. If only, you know the syndrome I'm talking about? That's what most of us fall into in life. And, and Solomon here is writing and he's giving us, he's saying, look, let me steer you away from this problem of pleasure and seeking pleasure. The Greek philosopher Aristotle, back in, you know, he, he back in the early or late B.C., early, you know, I look at it, 384 B.C. is when he wrote this, uh, he, uh, uh, or 384 to uh, 322, 
So this was what Solomon wrote was before Aristotle. He's probably picking up on some of Solomon's wisdom. But he said this to his students. He said, consider pleasure as they depart, not as they come. Aristotle wanted his students to consider the value of whatever pleasure they were pursuing. And he says, look, after you pursue a pleasure, don't consider what it was like before. Consider what it was like after. And the thing is, is most of the times we are driven towards pleasure based on what we think it's going to do for us. It's amazing how much of our life is driven based on what we think life will do or things in life will do for us. And interestingly, this is exactly what we see here in our text. Solomon says, I'm going to go out and I am going to try to enjoy every single pleasure and see what brings me joy and meaning. And then he gives us the result. At the end, it reminded me of the story that I came across while I was looking at philosophy and I was looking at pleasure. And um, there's a couple different stories. Uh, one is about a guy in Brazil, and another one it doesn't give, but it's about a fisherman and a businessman. Maybe you've heard this story. Um, it was actually, I, I found it in a business journal. Um, I also came across this in another, pers- another guy's uh, sermon and commentary, uh, but this one, I found this one in a business journal, and it's about a fisherman and a business- businessman, and, and this businessman uh, was walking down to the ocean, and he saw this fisherman just basically laying up against his boat, basically kind of resting, and the businessman thought, man, this, this guy is lazy. And he's seeing this guy kind of basically taking a nap. And he, as he approaches, he sees that the fisherman has quite a number of large fish. And so he approaches the fisherman, and he's impressed about how many fish that this guy has, and it's early in the day. And he said to the fisherman, how long does it take you to catch so many fish? And the fisherman replied, oh, just a very short while. Then he asked this, the businessman is puzzled, and he goes, well, then why don't you stay longer out there and you catch even more fish? The fisherman said, well, I have enough to feed my whole family. And so I came in and thought I would just rest and enjoy the rest of my day. The business then asked and said, um, so what are you going to do the rest of your day? And he goes, well, I'm going to rest, go play with my kids, go be with my wife, go enjoy my fish. Might take a nap after you leave. <laughs> and the businessman offered a suggestion to the fisherman. He goes, I am a PhD, I have a PhD in business management. I could help you become more successful as a person. From now on, you should spend more time at sea catching more fish 
as possible so you can save up enough money so then you can buy more boats and have more servants who then catch more fish and then you can retire and you will have a big business in town where you set up your headquarters. You'll be a very important person. The fisherman continued and he goes, well, then what do I do after that? The businessman laughed and he says, then you'll be a king in your house. You'll be a king and, and you can do whatever you want and, and you can take naps and you can go, you know, just, just go travel and go be with your family and you can go do this and that. You can retire and, and you'll be well thought of in the village. And the fisherman was puzzled and he looked at the businessman and said, well, isn't that what I'm doing right now? <laughs> Sometimes we get into saying as if I only had more, then more would be offered to me. But the fisherman realized, right? He's looking and shook his head at the businessman. He's like, I already had all of the things that the businessman was mentioning. I don't have to go work harder for it. I'm already blessed with it. Here's this amazing thing, and this is the point as we look at this section of Scripture. To find meaning and fulfillment in the wealth of pleasure, uh, in, in the wealthiness of pleasure, and you will find, you'll wind up miserable, empty, and depressed. Trying to find meaning and fulfillment in the wealth of pleasure, you will end up and wind up miserable and empty and depressed. It'll be a circle that never stops is the point that Solomon is getting at. There's a paradox of of pleasure. You know paradox? Something that just doesn't quite seem right. Uh, You know, it's... We always called it a paradox, like a fishing dox or a paradox. I don't know which one, but uh, we're trying to figure this out. But it's two things that really seem to really cancel each other out, right? And you know uh, what we talk about, you know, we talk about military intelligence. That was always the joke of the day. And um, I try not to say that because of my, my, my brothers in arms that I spend every Friday with. I actually appreciate their intelligence. <laughs> they give me great wisdom. But here's the thing. Pleasure is a, a crazy paradox. Because the more you hunt for pleasure, the less you're going to find it. It's pretty amazing. You talk to people, and, and the more that they try to find pleasure, the more struggles they end up finding with it. You know, you realize the more things you have, the more you have to lose, right? With having also comes loss. There's these great paradoxes in life. In, Solomon starts out and he says, I have said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy life. Literally what he's talking about, pleasure there is suggesting in the Hebrew, is suggesting that Solomon was going to examine every pleasure that seems to bring a level of verbal joy to say, this is great. He was going to look for pleasure 
Every single pleasure known to man, and so that way it was one of those verbal pleasures that would say, boy, this was great. The, word, the Hebrew word for enjoy means and implies that Solomon was looking at every pleasure that people deemed as good that made our hearts cheerful. He says, I'm going to look for everything that makes my heart filled with joy. What's interesting, he found no joy. He found no joy. He searched for, he said, this is what everybody says it makes them happy. I'm going to look for everything that every man says makes me happy. I'm going to do it. And in the end, he found for the purpose of finding joy. And in the end, he found none. He was miserable, empty, and more depressed. Even with his wisdom. You can still be the wisest, smartest, knowledgeable man and still make Mistakes that waste our time, which is quite amazing. As Rob very pointedly, his one problem stemmed from just simple lack, one disobedience. Doesn't matter how wise you are, doesn't matter how much knowledge you have, if you're disobedient to the Lord, you're still going to make mistakes. We want to look at all the pleasures. It's interesting. In this section, he notes many pleasures that he goes after, and he kind of categorizes them, which is interesting because the first category here is, is the pleasures that he pursued. The first one in verse uh, 2 is laughter. I call it wit. Wit. Most people love to laugh, right? Laughter is good for the soul. In fact, even on my... My, one of my little end tables in my office, there's a book that says, uh, a book to make you laugh. Sometimes it's good. I, it's amazing. Some people come in for counseling or just to share their struggles and they pick it up and they read and they smile. And sometimes they talk more after they've laughed and they've smiled. But Solomon says, I'm going to seek to find joy in laughter. It's... The idea was is that he's going to bring in and he's going to experience laughter. He's going to bring in whatever makes him laugh. It's as if Solomon said, I'm going to bring in all the best comedians to see if laughter brings joy to my soul. All the funniest one-liners. We're going to have pun-offs in the castle, you know. I went to eat one day with my chairman of my, my deacon board back in the day, and my chiropractor, who was a really good friend of mine, now at home with the Lord, and we would go to lunch, and I never talked. I know some of you are surprised. Uh, but all they did was practice puns. I sat there for an hour and listened, I mean, trying not to just... Sometimes I would shake my head in shame, and other times I would laugh. And it was crazy that they could figure out that many puns for a whole hour. The best thing about it was I got to enjoy the Chinese food, because that's where we ate. Every month we ate at Chinese food, and I got to hear new puns. 
Laughter can be great medicine for the soul, but it's not a cure-all. People try to make it a cure-all. They think that if I can just laugh more, life will be better. That's not true. Life is filled with sorrow sometimes. Life is filled with problems, and sometimes problems lead to our greatest blessings because God uses them to direct us to where the blessings are and not to where the useless, meaningless life, the vain things of life are. He redirects us and says, here, this is the better area. Proverbs 14, verses 12 through 13, kind of emulates, of course, this is from Solomon, and he emulates this section where he says, uh, I said of laughter, it's mad, <laughs> and of pleasure, what use is it? But Proverbs 14, 12 says this, he says, there's a way that seems right in a man, but in the end it leads to destruction or death. And then it says in verse 13, listen to this. Even in laughter, the heart may ache. The end of joy may be grief. We can't, there's, laughter does not heal the heart, the soul. End all. It doesn't bring joy. Sometimes in grief we can find joy. And that joy is the Lord. You think about it. His heart was set to use wisdom to experience all that is in life, to pursue all of these experiments. And this first experiment was I'm going to find pleasure in all of these different areas of life. And he came up, his first swing, he missed. There's no joy in life from laughter. It only is in the Lord. Two, the pleasure of wine. By the way, this is a very telltale thing. Listen to the, the, what he's saying. He, by the way, he's not saying he's getting drunk. The Hebrew words here have no implication of being a bum at the ocean, right? Just a wino. That's not what he's talking about. Look at verse 3. He says, I searched my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guided me with wisdom and how to lay a hold of the folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under the heaven during the few days of their life. The words of, like I said, the words in verse 3 are not describing a bum, but he's using wine. He says, hey, I know. I'm going to use wine to make my life cheery. To stimulate his pleasure. I know if I just use wine, it'll make pleasure even better. He carefully determined, the idea in this words is that he was going to use wine to carefully determine how much he could drink so that way he could use it to amplify his search in finding meaning and joy in life by using alcohol. (laughs) And he still had his mental faculties while doing it. He used just enough wine to stimulate pleasure and he was not out to get bombed or sunk or zonked or I don't know how you say it these days, smashed. But he just wanted to have a good time. 
It's interesting. And he said, this too is folly. It's folly. Trying to use something to produce something else, a pleasure, is basically the antidote for addiction. You try to find uh, happiness and laughter to amplify pleasure, you're going to be addicted to it. You use wine, you're going to be addicted to it. All of these things is one thing after another. That's why he said, Solomon goes on to say in Proverbs chapter 20, he said, wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Wisdom is not found in using alcohol to amplify pleasure. All it is going to do is cause problems. Proverbs 23 goes into it. And, man, it is amazing. In verses 29 through 35, and he goes through this whole thing of how um, it says in verse 30, those who tarry long over wine, those who go to try mixed wine, do not look at wine when it is red. I mean, don't be drawn away by what it looks like and don't pursue it because it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent, he says. Your eyes will see strange things. He goes on. They're like, hey, if you go after it too much, it's going to affect you. Your heart will utter perverse things. You won't talk right. You won't look at things right. You won't talk right. And then in the end, in verse 35, he says, you're gonna, you're, in the end, you're going to go back to it again. You go to this endless circle. If you really learn how to use He's like, look, the point is, is that alcohol will never enhance pleasure. You'll never find fulfillment. It's, as Solomon said, it is just flat, empty. You try to fill up your your cup with wine, your body with wine, it's just going to bring emptiness. This is not, I'm not sitting up here preaching at saying this has to be a dry congregation. Just saying it's not useful. Solomon is saying it was not useful. It brought emptiness to his life. Just like, I'll have to admit, eating a ton of donuts is not useful. <laughs> sugar is not useful. Natural sugar is more useful than processed sugar. Candy is not useful. It's enjoyable. The enjoyment of it doesn't last long. The bellyache that I enjoy after I eat a ton of it is not useful. The sugar high I get is not useful. Uh, back in the day when my stomach didn't work properly, other things it did was not useful. Sugar, I mean, think about it. It's not, the point is, is if you are seeking to use wine to find enjoyment in life, it's going to just bring emptiness. He says, I tried it. Doesn't work. The other pleasure he pursued was number three, the pleasure of productivity and wealth. In verses four through eight, he goes on a tear. He says, I'm going to seek pleasure by being extremely productive. I used to be in this mold. I figured the more I did, the more I would get, the more joy I would have. And I love, the more I did, the more joy I found. And then my thyroid quit. One day, and I found, you know what? Doing more is not more. Doing more sometimes is less. I ran myself down. 
really, really fast. Now I know what naps are for. Now, now, I, know, I, now I know what you know, the 15-minute demanded break is, you know, the water break. I didn't know what those used to be. You know, I would go all day and I wouldn't eat. That is not the case anymore. I know, what, I know that it's like I can't do that. Solomon said, I'm going to find pleasure in productivity. I'm going to find it in gaining wealth. You can read. I mean, 1 Kings 4, verses 22 through the end of the chapter is like a, a summation of the, all the wealth of Solomon, all the things that he did that was productive. He built houses, it says. If we looked at our text, he said, I, I made great works. I built houses and I planted vineyards for myself. He built, you know, he had multiple, multiple houses. One of the houses in 1 Kings 9, it took him 13 years to build. That was quite a house. He had another house built in the forests of Lebanon. He says, I like the forest, so I'm going to go out and build my cabin. Oh, it was not a cabin, by the way, let me tell you. And then he was saying, if that wasn't enough, he was like, oh, I, he married Pharaoh's daughter because, you know, he's like, that'll bring peace, you know. Pharaoh's not going to come up and destroy the kingdom because his daughter's with me, right? And he says, I'll marry her. Daughter's like, you know, I would love a house for myself. So he built her a house. Oh, man, I, he had like 500 plus wives. I wondered if each one of them had a house. Or if they just had a suite in the castle. I don't know. He had some shindigs. You know, some people go through life and like, oh, if I could just have the best house. Some of us are just happy to have a house. Or a barn. Or something warm. A fire. <laughs> right? But this is what he did. He says, I'm going to find pleasure in great works. Productivity. He developed a land, he he did gardens, he had parks, he had lush features of kings that they had brought trees and fruit and and, and gardens and he planted them and, and he developed the land. He was very productive. He made ponds, I've, I've seen the ponds, they still exist today, Solomon's pools. He built these pools to gather all the rainwater so they could use them to, to produce these lush gardens of fruit. You go to Israel and you can enjoy fruit all year. And they don't even have to import it. It's crazy what they have done with the fertile ground that God has given them. By the way, Solomon wanted forests in verse 6. He got forests. Solomon loved trees, so he built a house in the forest. Solomon bought servants in verse 7. He had, all, he had so many servants in verse Kings uh, we, in uh, 1 Kings 10, we, he had 12,000 men whose job it was to take care of just his horses. He had amazing horses. I remember when I was in Israel, one of the fun things was, was we went on the steps that led to the stables. They know they found remnants of what horses leave behind. <laughs> Trying to figure out why up on the Temple Mount... When they were digging down below the, the southern part of the Temple Mount, they're like, why, are, why is there remnants of, they find feed, fecal matter, and horse bones. Solomon's 
Stables. They found evidence of Solomon's stables. It's crazy. And we got to sit on some of those stairs and we, would, we read First Kings, reading about all that Solomon did. He tried to find pleasure in horses. That might ring bell for a few of you. <laughs> but he had all of these horses. He had all these servants. He purchased. He had large flocks of animals. He knew how to throw a party, by the way. I mean, First Kings, it talks about how many animals it took to sustain his palace in just food. It was crazy. He had fattened oxen. He fattened all these oxen. I mean, it was crazy how much animals he had and imported to feed his kingdom. It's crazy how much that Solomon had. He didn't just have stables. He had, do you know he had over 40,000 stalls of horses? He had stalls of horses in Jerusalem, all the way up in the north near Gilead. He had, I mean, in the Sea of Gilead. Uh, he had all sorts of, he had horse stalls everywhere. He had untold wealth, verse 8. The word here that he uses for wealth, by the way, in verse 8, is that Hebrew word that means that Solomon was a collector or a gatherer of wealth. Some of us collect stamps. Some of us collect baseball cards or football cards. Some of us collect bottle caps. Uh, Some of us collect stuff. I don't know what it is that you collect. We collect things, right? Little figurines. We, we collect things. Solomon collected wealth. <laughs> Can you believe this? What's amazing is, he, is we see in Psalm 49, verse 11 through 13, when describing, God says this. He says, Their graves are their homes forever. Their dwelling place to all the generations. Though they call called lands by their own names, man in his pomp, his pomp and circumstance and all his glory will not remain. He is like the beast that perishes. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them, people approve of their boasts. People boast of people with great wealth. They look at people with wealth that have done Great, they have great production, They're, they have great wealth because of their production, and they boast about them, but yet it just goes to the grave. It will not remain. And Solomon says, it's just vanity. It's empty. The other pleasure we see in verse 8, his pleasure of music, he says, I know I've tried wealth, I've tried productivity, I've tried wine, I've tried laughter. I'm going to try music. Music will lift my soul. Music will make everything better. So he surrounded himself with the finest musicians in the world, both male and female. He wrote, it says, 105 songs in 1 Kings 4, verse 32. It says he wrote over 1,005 songs. He can write the best songs. He's the wisest. He could write the best music. He could find the best musicians to sing it, to play it. And he looked for everything under the sun. Solomon, 
got the best of what was good, and he said it was empty. He goes on, and it's not just music. And you're, you're seeing all of these points here hit home because these are things we like. Pleasure of women or women. The end of verse 8, he says that he, cons- and it says he, cons- he had concubines and, he del- and the delights of the Son of Man. He found pleasure in many, many women. And it's funny, Josephus writes, a Jewish historian writes about Solomon. It says he grew mad in his love for women and he laid not restraint on himself in his lust, nor was he satisfied with the women of his country alone, but he married many wives of foreign nations and, and he went on and he transgressed the laws of God, of Moses, that forbade Jews to marry and but these uh, marry any but only those of his own people. Solomon was fallen headlong into unreasonable pleasure. He's like, we look at this, he's like, it's almost like he's saying, you know the old adage, you know, sex, drugs, and alcohol, don't go after them. You know, the old time fire and brimstone preachers of old. Solomon is saying here, I've tried it all. I've had it all. And yet, it's all false. It's all false. He grew mad. We know that Solomon had seven, at least 700 wives, and he had at least 300 concubines at his disposal. He didn't, didn't leave out anything. He sought every pleasure known to man, and it brought him heartache. See, there's a false promise to pleasure. There's this false promise to pleasure. And that is this. We call it the law of unfulfilled expectation. The law of unfulfilled expectation. We see this right here in, the, in our text. Is that enjoyment will decrease unless the intensity of pleasure increases. Solomon ramped up everything he did to find pleasure. He didn't do it small. He's like, okay, what's the next thing? I'll do it more. I'll do it better. I'll use more wisdom. I'll use more knowledge. And yet he found nothing that was useful. The law of unfulfilled expectations. You go into it thinking, this is what this pleasure is going to do for me. But in the end, you're like, okay, now it's done. Now what? I got to do it more. If I, it, there's got to be a better comedian out there. I'm going to find a better one. That comedy movie was just, it wasn't that funny. I'll go find a, so we call up and like, we look at, and we look online and look for a better comedy review. You know, what are the best comedy movies? Or, and, and, and we're like, oh, well, there's a better one. Let's go do that. Oh, that was funny. Oh, but I, I need more. Let's find more. Let's go, let's start at number 100 and let's go all the way to number one. And let's find pleasure. And it, the expectation gets bigger and bigger and bigger. There has to be more. It's unfulfilled. It's this never-ending circle of being unfulfilled. P- pleasure. 
gives us a false promise of the law of diminishing returns. We'll find that the more we seek pleasure, the, more we have, the less we have in return. The things that you once craved in delight become boring. You have to have more. That's why people struggle at church. We need more. Let's do more. Because you're seeking pleasure from church rather than seeking God at church. That was just, that's a side rabbit trail right there. The law of diminishing returns. If you come to church for one pleasure or another, you for one expectation of another, it's the law of diminishing returns. Eventually, it just won't satisfy anymore. Basically, the idea Solomon's giving us here, I tried everything, and the more I tried, the, it, just, it, does, it just got boring. It was futile. According to the abuse, and uh, uh, there's a, uh, uh, the Acadian Addiction Center, they say this, they say that basically the doctors have gotten together and they say that drugs or other pleasures produce uh, endorphins or dopamine, right? And your body has a certain amount of it. And when you use, whether it's wine, drugs, um, of certain various kinds, whether it's prescription drugs or whether it's um, um, illegal drugs or uh, doesn't matter whether they make them illegal or not, drugs, and you seek pleasure by them, that your body does, in the beginning, release a large amount of your dopamine. They found this. It's scientifically proven. But the problem is, is, is that every time you use it, there's less and less dopamine, so you use more and more and more and more. Because it takes more to release the dopamine to the point where what you used to find pleasure in does not bring pleasure. So you are in a constant state of control by whatever substance you're trying to find pleasure in. Scientifically proven. And Solomon is telling us here the law of diminishing return. The other one is the law of unintended consequences. As you are pursuing pleasure and ignoring the restraints instituted by God for our good, you discover that along with the pleasure comes things that you thought would never happen. I didn't realize that. Oh, I didn't realize that was going to happen. I didn't realize that was a problem. I didn't realize. I didn't realize. Pleasure is a liar. It's a trickster. It's a cheat. Right? Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and life more abundant to the fullness. But the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Seek pleasure, the God of this world says. There are a lot of unintended consequences. Paul even went this far. He said there's a lot of good in 1 Corinthians 6 and also 1 Corinthians 10, he says, There is good, but not all good is beneficial. I will not be controlled by anything. Just because something is good doesn't mean that it ultimately is the most beneficial thing in life. As we conclude in a hurry here, a rich life without God 
might make you popular. But it's not going to satisfy. The wealth, the pleasures, anything that you think would bring you pleasure, it's not ultimately going to satisfy. Ultimately, anything without God is going to be less of the riches that God intended for your life. It does not sustain. That's why Solomon never found joy. That's why Philippians 4, remember what I said two weeks ago? I said, what about all the stuff that's happening, all the new regulations, all the things? What about the, the presidential stuff? What about all the politics? What about this? What about that? And all I can tell you is this, rejoice. Paul is telling us, find joy in God. He is sustaining. God's joy sustains. Pleasure never sustains. So I was great. I increased more and also... But in the end, it was nothing. The other thing we see, I love what verse 10 says. It says, I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. All the toil. The only thing he got pleasure in, I mean, he just... is. You see, a rich life of pleasure without God is empty. In the end, he had nothing. We read it in the beginning. Rob read to us and reminded us, hey, all the pleasure of this world and all that it has to offer, it's going to be gone someday. Everything that you have worked for in life, guess what? Sorry. One day it'll be gone. My pigs remind me of that every day. I fix my pen, I go out there, and guess what? I have to fix it again. <laughs> but I get bacon, at least. <laughs> yeah, so just, just, you know, it's not all horrible. But I'm reminded, it's a circle of life type thing. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, all the pursuit of pleasure... All the feelings of, that, of happiness that we seek after, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, it is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away from its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The other side of this coin is, is that Solomon found that all the pursuit of pleasure was meaningless. It was empty. It was just chasing after the wind. It's playing tag with something that you can never tag. It's a never-ending game that you always lose. But Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks in the counsel, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stands in the or stand in the way of the scoffers, or sit in the seat of the of the sinner, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on the law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water which yields fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all he does he prospers. But the wicked are not so. 
The things of this world will never produce, but the things of God will last forever. People are like, is it valuable to go to church? If you're coming to church for pleasure, to pursue pleasure, it'll, you'll, you'll never find it. You'll walk away depressed. You'll go try to find another church and you'll be depressed. Maybe a year or two down the road you'll be depressed. It's always exciting to go to a new place, but then the reality sets in, right? That's why I, when I'm doing marriage counseling, I was like, well, what do you think you're going to find in a new wife? And they always tell me all these things, and I'm like, well, isn't that what you saw in your wife in the beginning? Well, yeah, but like, well, you're seeking pleasure in the wrong thing. If you go get married again, you're just going to find another sinful person. Hate to break it to you. <laughs> We're all the same. We're all sinful. So hold on to what you got. Don't waste all the, the stuff that you, all the work you've put into that one. <laughs> the key is, is where you find pleasure. And if you're finding pleasure in each other, you're going to lose. If you're finding pleasure in only what your boss does for you at work, you're going to lose. If you're only finding pleasure in what your farm will give you, you're going to lose. If you only find pleasure in what you can gain, you're going to lose. But if you come to church to find pleasure in God and His will and knowing Him, you're going to always have it forever. You will never lose with Christ. You might suffer for a short time in this sinful world, we might have to have masks a little while longer. We might have to do things a little differently, a little longer. But praise God, Christ and all that he does and his blessings endure forever. Nothing can stop that. What are you going to treasure in your heart? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you're going to treasure pleasure, it's going to be a heartache. If you treasure Christ, it's going to be fulfilling. He has taken this jar of clay in our, of our life and he's pieced it back together and he's put his most precious gift, his very spirit, the Holy One, into our life to guide, protect, and produce joy in our life. Joy everlasting. Joy has come, we're singing. So as we look forward to Christ's birth and Christmas, we're actually, we're, as we look at Christ's birth, we're actually proclaiming, proclaiming, I can't talk this morning, proclaiming His return. Where's your treasure? Don't treasure pleasure. I guarantee Satan will be there ready and say, ah, ha, ha. Pull the rug right out from underneath you. It's coming. I don't care how good life is right now. The rug's coming out sooner or later. Who's going to be holding you? Are you trusting the pleasure of this world or are you trusting in your relationship with God? I love God. He is forever. Even when I read these words and I go, ouch. Praise God, he is there working in his, through his word, 
into my life, reminding me that he is forever and to long for him and not for this world and to not get tripped up by those circumstances. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your great love in which you have loved us that while we were yet sinners, you you died for us. You have given us life, life eternal. Life because it's not our life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's through your life. It's through what you did, Jesus, when you died for us. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the ultimate suffering to take on God's wrath for the sin of the world to be our go-between that you would take your life and put it onto ours. You gave us your righteousness that, we, that way we would have life eternal. Because Lord, you told us there is none good, no, not one. There's none who truly seeks after you. It's not in our nature to seek you. But Lord, you drew us through the grief of this world, through the law, uh, and showing us that we are not good. Through all of those things, you brought us, you drew us to you to know that you are God and that there is power in your words. I pray that we would trust in your word, your will, your work, and not in the things of this world. And we not get lost in the commercialism that's trying with all their might to take over Christmas. May we not get caught up in all the COVID-related things. May we not get caught up in all the political things. All of these things will pass, but the only thing that remains true is you. Lord, pray that you would Prick the hearts of all of us that are here, that are watching, that are at home, that we might treasure you the most. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.